Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I'm very excited about today's session. As you know, the episode, the uh, podcast is called Soul Talk, talking about matters of the soul, things of meaning and importance to life and living and how to live more authentically. And I really feel my guest today uh, is going to provide a, a real context for what it is to live deeply from the heart, from the soul. I had the opportunity, I was telling you before we started, I had the opportunity, I think it was in 2005, 2006, 2007, to uh, meet her at one of her events, a few of her events in Los Angeles. Uh, when I say meet, it wasn't one-on-one, -on -one, it was uh, uh, in her satsang, in her event. And uh, it was really profound, profound moments for me as a young man, uh, new, newer to the US and uh, really touched my heart, touched my life, touched my journey. And so I'm very excited. It's been uh, a few years that I've been trying to get her on and the universe aligned, the timing aligned. Uh, my guest today is a spiritual teacher, uh, Gangaji. You may know of her, you may have been touched by her in some way. If you haven't, um, today's gonna be uh, a significant day, hopefully. She offers, uh, I really love what it said on her website, she offers ordinary people leading ordinary lives a unique and transformative invitation to discover what has always been whole and fulfilled. And I love the fact that it's ordinary people living ordinary lives, and uh, I feel we need more of that. So welcome to Soul Talk, Gangaji. It's a privilege, honor, pleasure. I've been looking forward to this moment. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I'm really, really happy to, to meet you up close and to yeah. be here. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Um, there's, there's, there's like so many questions I, I want to explore and ask you and, you know, kind of not sure where to start, but I just mm -hmm. want to start from a, a basic place just for some folks that may not know you and your background. Um, I'd love to just, like, how did the journey begin? How did the journey of spirituality and see seeking and and I'm always curious in terms of people's journeys, and I'd love for people to, to get a sense of just that part before we move and explore other areas. Like what, what prompted the, the seeking journey? Well, if I really look at the origins, I would say it was a recognition of how profoundly unhappy I was. But I was only 11 years old then. Uh -huh. And I just knew that I needed to do something to change my life. I, I did have a not an abusive home life, but an alcoholic home life. So it was not a, a nourishing place, but I, I wasn't suffering. I was being fed. I was being educated, but I was unhappy. Mm. And so I have to say my search began in that moment. And so I looked ways to be happy. And what it looked like to me then is if I smile at people, if I'm nice to people, they smile back at me and they're nice to me. And that made me happy. <laughs> and mm. I, it did, it got me through my high school and college years. And, but I saw that that was superficial, that it didn't really touch some profound suffering I was, I read books, I was into lots of different authors, and it seems to me they were all touching on that. So I, I tried lots of different things. I tried marrying the perfect man, mm. and I did. Mm. And I realized, well, that is good. He's a nice person. I love him, but I'm, it didn't touch my suffering. Mm. I tried leaving the perfect man because I thought, well, maybe that's it. <laughs> And it did feel free, and it was in San Francisco in the 1970s, so it was a, an alive, happening time. And that's really when I, I began to see that all of my activity 
even though it had been important for my development as an individual, really hadn't touched some ground of suffering. And at that point in San Francisco, I heard of Buddhism and I got interested in Buddhism because the Buddha said life is suffering. And I thought, that's it, I, I get that. And he said, there is possibility of awakening from that suffering. So I immersed myself in Buddhism for a few years and discovered meditation and discovered the Buddhist tenets. And in particular, I got involved with Tibetan Buddhism and, and had wonderful experiences. And I had access to really powerful teachers for a while there. And, and so I was in an, uh, an elevated state, I would say. But still underneath that, I recognize that if I didn't do my practice every day, or if I didn't do it correctly, or if it didn't reveal some state that was higher than my daily state, then I was failing. And so I linked up that failing with my unhappiness. And mm -hmm. I recognized that I need help that I'm not getting. And this was much later. It took me years to get to that point, but I prayed for a teacher. I didn't think I wanted a teacher. I certainly didn't want a guru. I wasn't interested in the, the guru scene. I was more egalitarian than that, but I wanted a teacher. I needed help. And really six months after realizing I need help, I need a real teacher. I ended up meeting my teacher, Papaji, mm -hmm. in India. It really was the last place I thought I wanted to go. But there it was. My husband and I both had made this prayer. And, and so there I was with him. And he said, what do you want? It was one of the mm -hmm. first things he said to me. He opened the door. We knocked on his door. He opened the door. He said, oh, good. What do you want? Mm -hmm. And I said, I want freedom. I don't know where that word came from. <laughs> I could have said peace or love or release from this suffering, but I said, I want freedom. And he said, oh, great, you're in the right place. Mm. And in a very ordinary house in India, which was really ordinary, he, he said, come in, and we had tea. And, and I said, I got it. I saw that he was alive, and I was in this particular thing there were just three of us in the room and this was my opportunity to really ask the question that I could get the answer from and I said Papaji tell me what to do because I was willing to start a new practice or take on a new mantra or stay in India if that was necessary I was really willing to do whatever he said because I recognized this is my teacher and so I was paying very close attention. And he said, oh, good. Stop doing anything. Stop doing anything. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I heard stop doing anything. Just like you said, stop doing anything. Okay. I know how to do that because I've practiced meditation, you know. So I got into a posture and I stopped doing what I was doing, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I was then doing my meditation. Huh. And he said, no, no, stop that too. Stop everything mm. and tell the truth. Who are you? What is here? What's always here? And that really, after some moments of stark fear, that blew my mind open so that I could recognize there is this continual presence of being, consciousness, Satchitananda, that is always here and that it's not a matter of perfecting my personality or my life situation, which may need perfecting, mm -hmm. but it's a matter of simply telling the truth of what is always here. And after a while, he asked me to, to bring this invitation to whoever is interested, that those who are interested will somehow hear what the invitation is mm. so that's what brings us together in this beautiful moment. in terms of the truth um it's so true 
You know, it sounds like, well, just tell the truth. It's simple. <laughs> but why is this so darn hard? Why, is it, why does it seem, at least seem, so difficult for us to tell the truth in so many ways? We lie to ourselves about so much, just in our daily life, let alone the deeper reality of what we are. And we've been so conditioned uh, in terms of what we are and who we should be and who we think we are that we think it's real. And so how do we even start to tell the truth and how do we know what's true when we're living the lie? How do we even tell the truth when we, how do we even know we're lying? Let's, let's put it that way. Great questions. Well, I first want to make a distinction between simple because it is absolutely simple to tell the truth mm. and difficulty. It is also the most difficult thing in the world because if you really are willing to tell the truth, then for that moment, at least those seconds, your concern is not about survival. Your concern is about telling the truth. Naturally, as human animals, our concern is primarily about survival. That's our social structure, our personal structure, our mental structure. That's not going to change. We are, first of all, programmed to survive. But in a moment of being willing to die to the truth, without knowing even what that means, just to be still, to stop projecting some form, even if it's contradictory forms of survival, just to be still, not in meditation, but really in a moment, then the truth, at least for a glimpse, is available. And from that point on, then you have the choice, if you're willing to overhear yourself, and the narratives that you tell, which finally all get back to survival, even the deep suffering narratives are somehow about survival so that we will teach ourselves more about survival. So Papaji's guru, Ramana Maharshi, had a moment when he was 16 after his father had died where he was overcome by this fear of death just realized death is real, it, it took my father. And he somehow, he was not a spiritual kid, he was an athlete, he just lay on the floor and said, okay, who dies, what dies? And from that, he had an extraordinary experience that, that then led to his life as a great sage of India. And Papaji met him and also, with Papaji, he directed him, he said, because Papaji was looking for a form of Krishna that would always be here. He was a Krishna devotee at that mm. point. And Ramana said, gods that come and go are useless. Mm. Find out what doesn't come and go. This is very simple. But <laughs> our minds are attuned our brain activity is attuned toward complexity because that's where survival is. If we can figure it out, if we can defend, if we can make allies, if we can do all the, if we can run, we, we will survive or we have a better chance of survival. But in a moment of inquiry, well, you just stop and you see what is here right now. Mm that is always here. And then you take another moment in a more agitated experience and you say, well, in the midst of this, if I just take two seconds to stop and inquire, what is here? Then it, you see the simplicity actually opens the, the capacity, the strength of the mind to overhear itself in its narratives. And then there's choice. You can follow the narrative, and we are trained and conditioned and practiced in following the narrative. Or you can stop and simply experience what usually feels like death mm. or fear. Maybe we don't think this is death, but it's a fear that arises. So that's maybe the long way of saying what it is. It's actually 
is even more simple than what can be expressed and more difficult than what can be expressed. But when you're ready, when you're actually ready to stop suffering or ready to be free, it's available for you because it's your own self, it's your own capacity. For someone that may be listening to what you just said and they ask themselves that question and they, they say to you, all that's here is so much pain and all I feel is pain and you're telling me to be pre- present to what's here but all I feel is pain. I don't feel anything but pain, internal turmoil. And I don't want to be with that because it's just too overwhelming. It's too much. That's the story. That's the narrative. Guide us in that, yeah. So, yes, this pain. Naturally, we don't want to be with pain. Who, Who does? But in following the narrative, it's too much. I can't Mm. be with this. Then we go off into the complexity of how to get away from pain, how to fight pain, how to make friends with pain. In a moment of really just being still and inquiring into this pain, not with the pain, because that's you in the pain, but into the pain maybe even beginning with where is it? So for many people, when I, this comes up, they, they will say, you know, the heart of the solar plexus or the belly, or they'll experience some place of contraction or pain. And in the willingness to not follow the narrative that gets generated, just to put that aside, it just to f- let your attention fall inside that pain. Mm. So what is inside the pain or closer to the you than the pain? Because the pain, even physical pains, this is true of, and I'm not speaking in general of physical pains because I take medicine if I have pain and need pain, but even then it's a relaxation. If you open to the pain, At the very least, the pain is lessened, but that's not my point. My point is if you really open to it, you discover something that is always here, Mm -hmm. even in the pain. And that's your true refuge. That's your true peace. That's your true freedom that even pain can't dislodge. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it's beautiful. So you met you met Papaji, and was was there a moment where you got it? You know, was there like was it like a moment? Was it gradual? Was it like you know? Because we we have these ideas about enlightenment and waking up, and and you know what I really loved when I when I, when I when I read part of your website the other day was the I really liked the the, the phrase ordinary. You know, that, that really struck me because so much of like spirituality, this emphasis on the bliss and the extraordinary and, and the, and it's just can seem unattainable to so many people. And, and so, so we, sometimes we have these high experiences, then we have to come back to life, which seems ordinary and mundane. And then, and so there's a, a conflict like, that's holy and this isn't. And so firstly, like, was there a moment? What was the, and if there was, what was it like? Did it feel different from this moment? You know, walk walk me through that. And and what felt different? And how did your life change? Was it just like bliss eternally after that? (laughs) So good, because of course, these are the questions and, I would say that definitely there were moments that happened with Papaji where I was able to to stop. You know, it had never been suggested to me that it's possible to actually stop my mind activity and recognize what's deeper. So first of all, I was I recognized fear because if I stopped my mind activity, I, I could regress back to that eleven year old. You know, I was afraid that all of my accomplishments would disappear. 
and they did <laughs> in lots of ways. So, I, but I trusted the moment, and so I, I did stop finally, and I opened, and it was just this piece of being. In that sense, it was, whoa, like a high that you would have in an experience or someplace in nature or with somebody. So beautiful, and I love that, but it was not till I got away from Papaji when I went back to the States and I was really missing him, mm. uh, his grace and the grace of India. And it's like, oh, I was in this hellhole of Hawaii. <laughs> 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 oh, why did I leave? You know, I should have stayed and just swept his floors. I, just all this narrative going on. And then I remembered his saying, what you discover here with me is here wherever you are. And I thought, well... He said that. I accept him as my teacher, so I'll check it out. So in this uh, turmoil, emotional turmoil and suffering and pain, I decided to, to, to stop <laughs> to see what is here. And almost instantaneously, some few seconds, there was just this piece of being that was no different from being with him. And that was beautiful. That was a moment. But finally, some a couple of months after that, there was a moment, and it was like a thunderclap. I know this doesn't happen for everyone, and I'm not mm. saying it should happen, and this is how you will know it has happened. But for me, it was like a thunderclap of just being, for the first time in my life that I could tell, that I was right side up. That I wasn't walking around with my head in the sand trying, trying to find the light. It was just, I was right side up. And also, I would say, in that moment, I wasn't looking for anything extraordinary. That being right side up was actually a surrender to being completely ordinary. Mm. And in that, to see the grace and the mystery and the enormity of what ordinary being is. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I always I had been looking for something extraordinary from the time I was 11 on to make myself extraordinary, to be hmm. around somebody who is extraordinary, to learn things that are extraordinary. This was just, huh, it's here. It is naturally who I am. It's not an acquisition. Mm. It's not a state because that was an elevated state in that moment, but states come and go always. And this, I found, does not come and go. And really, if I tell the truth, it was always here, even in that miserable 11 year old, in that searching spiritual student. Underneath that was just this radiance, just calling me home. Mm. Mm, beautiful. Um, sometimes there's a fear that if we stop, let's say, okay, stop the mind, stop. Mm. Mm. You know, the, the fear that we have, especially in our modern day culture, how the hell am I going to function? How, how will I, mm. am I going to be homeless? How will, how will I be successful? The motivation. And can, can you speak to that? Because it's like, well, if I'm just here and um, <laughs> everything is great and I'm in peace, but my rent, you know, and, and, and <laughs> you know, just yeah. functioning in daily life. So, so can you speak about how to navigate that seeming dichotomy and and because mm -hmm. i think there's a feel like well i've heard people say well, i i don't want to go down a spiritual path because mm -hmm. i'm going to lose my motivation so let me just keep doing what i'm doing and so can the two be lived is it just what are your thoughts there well i think it's such a legitimate question because i i when i hear that and i did experience that and i hear that from people <clears throat> quite often it's the fear of death again mm. But, of course, why we have to pay our rent is because we don't want to be out in the cold. And why we don't want to be out in the cold is we don't want to die. And even 
as altruistic as our relationships may be, they are an aspect of survival. We are social creatures. And so I accept it as an absolutely legitimate question. And I had that come up in India because once in India, I saw a man laying in the middle of the street wrapped in what looked like saran wrap or plastic. He was naked underneath and wrapped in this and laying in the middle of traffic. And in India, of course, traffic just went around him. <laughs> but I was thinking, oh, my God, is that what I'm going for? <laughs> is, that, is that what I'm looking for? And then I remember uh, meeting a Tibetan teacher once, and he was outside, and they said, oh, yesterday we forgot to bring him in. And if they didn't bring him in, he would just sit outside all day, and he, he could get sick and die, you know. So it's like... But that's all back to the fear of death. So it's so interesting because that really does have to be faced. No one can answer that for anyone else. And, and in a moment or two seconds or four seconds of actually caring more about your freedom than your death. I don't mean in a scenario, but in just an experience of in this moment, where I recommend you be safe. I don't recommend you do this in the middle of traffic or if you're threatened in any way, but in a moment in your room and just to take a moment and not be preoccupied. And I'm not putting a negative spin on this preoccupation. It's natural to be preoccupied with your death, which is the future. That's why we have the capacity to envision the future. So the fear, oh, if I go down this way, I won't take care of my children or I won't feed myself or I won't support the planet. These are fears that are just designed to keep you on the track of survival, rightfully. I'm not anti-survival, mm -hmm. but there is something more than just survival. And people have experienced this in non-spiritual terms forever in war or in threat or in rape that can often be for people or in death on a deathbed just a moment of of glory of beauty of surrender mm. so the the invitation is is not to wait for your deathbed because you will die at some point you won't be able to pay the rent after you're dead <laughs> and just this moment as a young man as a young person as a Ramana was a young, just innocent person. It's an innocent question. What is here? What is always here? It doesn't know of death. And so since we do know of death and we have practiced avoiding death intelligently, it's a way of just stepping back into uh, a release or a relaxation. Is that, is that helpful? I, this is such yeah. an important question. Yeah. It's the question, of course. Yeah. And, and, and so, because I was going to kind of tag to the question, how about planning? Gangaji, I'm, I'm, I'm launching, I'm having a baby. I'm going to get married. I'm launching a business. I got a plan, you know? I, I, yeah. yeah. Do you plan? Do you yes. So, so, so how? But isn't that going into the future? I mean, yes, definitely. To, so speak about it, navigating that. Definitely. You know, I'm not inviting people to live a, a monk's life or a life that's withdrawn mm. from the world. Mm. You, you may, if that's an appropriate style for you, and that just becomes clear. But this is where the ordinary comes in, I think. It's an extraordinary experience of the ordinary. And in our preoccupation, our daily preoccupation with the future, we overlook this extraordinary presence of being that's here. So it's not that planning disrupts that. It's somehow belief that the plan, the future, is where you are or where you will be better or where you will take care of things. It's a really respect for the presence, and it's, I'm not saying be here now, though that's a great statement, and I, I like it, and it's good, but it's not that. It's, there's a totality of being 
that includes past, present, and future. But in our, our obedience to this mandate to live, to not die, we are overly concerned with the past because we learned big lessons there and how that relates to the future because that's where our next challenges will be survival-wise. And we just overlook this uh, presence that's here right now, this ordinary, awakened self that is at the core of all time, <laughs> was here in the past. You can go back into past memories and you can look at that and you go, oh, even then, this presence was there. That's the beauty, as it's inclu all-inclusive. It's not, it's not making wrong the past. It's not that it's wrong to look into the past. I think we're just made that way. We will remember past incidences and we'll, we'll see how that relates to present and future incidences. But it's a preoccupation that gets mm -hmm. cut and a recognition that in this moment, you are not suffering. And how deep is that? And is there a moment where that has ever been absent, even in profound physical or emotional or circumstantial suffering? And so you're not looking in the, the narrative for the answers, you're looking in the experience. Mm. And that's the invitation, is really to stop looking in your narrative and open to what's always been here. When you were a little boy, a little girl, when you were feeling great, when you were feeling bad, when you're feeling enlightened, when you're feeling unenlightened, what's the, Papaji called it, the substratum. I love that word. I think that's really good. The substratum, which is satchitananda, consciousness, aware of itself, and then overflowing in the bliss of that awareness. Digesting that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of then spiritual practices, mm -hmm. I really would like you to talk about that. Um, meditation, yoga, mm -hmm. mantras, chanting, mm -hmm. you know, breath work, breathing, mm -hmm. nostril. I mean, there's so many things that, and it just seems to increase with technology and, you know, education. We want to do more of these different things to try to get a glimpse of what's always there. Mm -hmm. And so we pride ourselves on, on, on being a good practitioner and being spiritual. And, and so the, do they help? Do these practices help? Do they, or are they actually hindering us? Taking, I mean, what, what's our relationship with that? Like, just stop. Okay. Do I just stop? Do we just stop reading, stop practicing, and just sit there? And it's like, well, well I think the, the true and final answer is that sometimes they help and sometimes they're hindrance. It's a pollution that we do because we take the most true, most profound teachings mm. and we make them into institutions, whether it's a religion or it's mm. your own private institution. And so what starts out as pure and absolutely true becomes corrupted by our own mind's activity, our desire to survive, rightfully so. But then it becomes a desire for the, the practice to survive. So it's complicated and it's simple. The simple thing is, what are you practicing? Uh, what do you practice all the time you're not on your meditation cushion? Because that's where your practice is. What you're practicing, you know, 20 hours a day. What you're practicing even in your dreams. Mm. And so are you willing to stop that practice? Are you willing to realize that that practice is now a hindrance? to your opening. And that's the practice that gets repeated daily, weekly, hourly, of who you think you are, what you think you've accomplished, 
what you think you've lost. I, and I'm not denying the, either the experiences or the feelings of that, but it's the narrative that is practiced. It's like a mantra. This is my name, and it's so, it's so practiced that it becomes like a mantra is supposed to come, become part of your whole being. And we don't even recognize that we're practicing it, that, that we have to re even remember I'm a male or a female, or remember I had a good childhood or a bad childhood, just to, to take a moment and stop that practice. Then mm -hmm. if you make that moment a practice, it will help you or it will hinder you, depending on how it is corrupted or left pure. Mm. You know, practically speaking, I meditate every day because it's very good for my body and it's very good for my nervous system and my, my mind stream just to have nothing happening, just to be still. Mm. And, and that's beautiful. When I was younger, I used to dance every day, <laughs> and that was beautiful. That was one of my practices. Now I like to be in nature when I can. That's a practice, and that's beautiful. But if it becomes like I've got to meditate, or my day is ruined, or if mm. I don't get outside today, it's a lost day, you know, it becomes, it's corrupted, and it is hindering you from recognizing what is always here on the days of your practice, when your practice is good, when it's bad, when you forget it, when you fail, when you succeed, what is always here? So in a sense, that's a practice in that it takes attention. It's a, a kind of vigilance. It's like keeping vigilance. But if you try to encapsulate it and make it a religion, you will see it becomes stiff, you become stiff. It, it's a hindrance. You're not, you're not ordinary anymore. You are doing something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's so true. How much of our lives do, we, do you feel we're in control of? Do we have control? You know, I mean, uh, and, and the relationship between, okay, karma and, and, and mm -hmm. manifestation and mm -hmm. making things happen and, mm -hmm. you know, some teachers talk about, oh, bend your reality and control your reality mm -hmm. and manifest. So, so what are your thoughts on that? I mean, life seems to happen. And many of the things that happen, I, the more and more I find I didn't really uh, plan these things. And the best things just kind of unfolded. It's like, okay, I had this plan and, you know, this is what ended up happening. And so... I'm starting to think I don't know how much control I really have of this 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 thing, and so I'm I'm, I'm curious, you know. Well, I have a point of view on that, you know. Yeah. But I think it's an arrogance of mind that we have control over life, and in the willingness to be surprised, there is a recognition. I mean, maybe humility is not the exact word, but it's an availability for the the mystery of life. Mm. It's certainly there are things we can control for a while, like we can control our bowels for a while, but finally we mm -hmm. won't be able to. <laughs> so it's so control in, in that sense, I think, is legitimate. And there are choices that we make that then have their own destiny. There are mistakes we make and good choices we make that unfold. But there's a, a possibility to recognize how infinite and complex and just the cosmic nature of it all. I mean, there's so much we don't even know about the cosmic nature of it or of it all and of our own selves, our own bodies, of even practically healing our own diseases. So there is a, a hugeness to this that we can recognize as that we are aspects of. And that definitely our choices may have some influence on choices, the choices of what we eat, of how we deal with our trash, or how we mm. deal with our neighbors, whatever they may be, be, may have some influence. But I think it's arrogant to think that 
Well, it's first of all arrogant to think I am enlightened and therefore my choices mm-hmm. will be good. That's mm-hmm. a setup for a fall, you know. I mean, we've, we've got plenty of examples yeah. ahead of us for that. So if we don't have that narrative, that's, there's a fear, you know, then I won't have the life I want, mm-hmm. that I am creating my life. And to create that, I need the right affirmations or I need the right visualizations. Or, and it's, it's so much both more simple and, and bigger than that when you are willing to recognize that as a form, you are created and you will die. Mm-hmm. And as consciousness, there is something so deep that the form cannot capture it but it is already captured by it. Mm. So there's a surrender that's possible. And I just, I'm not saying be a do-nothing or a know-nothing. I, I really support people being politically involved and having visions and, and being willing to tell the truth about mistakes. And the nature of humanity is to often lie about mistakes and mm-hmm. just cover them with, you know, a, a nicer wrapping. Mm. So that's part of the depth of living that is uh, made more possible by this particular innocence and this willingness to not know, the willingness to not know what should I do here? What should happen to me? Mm. And really, as you were just saying, when we tell the truth, how could we have known we would be here? It was beyond knowing. It was mm. deeper than we can know, but we can be present to it. We can mm. open to it. We can experience it. Yeah, there's a piece in, in, in what you said that I just want to um, focus on for a second uh, because you got me thinking about things like activism and <clears throat> the, 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 the planet, ecology. <clears throat> I was speaking to, I think it was Bruce Lipton or someone the other day, and <clears throat> And, and, you know, we're talking about the world, the planet's going to go extinct and we're going to disappear. Species are disappearing. The planet's disappearing. The oceans, the sky, all these things we're doing, we're doing to the planet that is destroying it. And it, we won't exist in X amount of years. And so we have to do something and fix this. And... It, is, is that an authentic drive uh, it, or, or is that an egoic drive that taps into our ego's fear of survival again? Or, I mean, and, and, and what is the right relationship to being the planet, take care of the planet, yet have the humility I'm trying to ask a question, but... You just gave uh, the answer, though. <laughs> yeah. So, so can you, can you, I'd love to hear just some of your thoughts about that. That's beautiful. I'd say it is, it is it's both egoic and it's, it's true, cosmic. And, you know, if your hair is on fire, you rush to mm. get your hair put out. You don't have right. a discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was that egoic? Well, it's part of the survival drive, certainly, mm. but... It's also intelligent. It's not being, you know, you didn't say my hair is on fire and fire is a great thing. And this is maybe a spiritual fire. You just run to put the fire out. And it seems as if we're recognizing that our ecosystem anyway is on fire. Literally around here in the summers. I mean, we had a month of um, air you couldn't go out into because the ash was so deep and are you in L.A.? Is that? Uh, I, I was in L.A. and uh-huh. now I'm in Miami for the moment. But I remember yeah, well, that. Miami has its, yeah. It has the water problem. <laughs> so, mm. so there are massive problems that I think as inhabitants of the planet and as uh, instigators of many of the problems, it's intelligent to see, can we, is there time? Can we change this? And how do we mediate this to be responsible just for like cleaning up your bedroom, yeah. washing the dishes? It's, it's just part of taking care of, the, mm. the, of, of us, of each other. Right. right. 
So in a way that's not spiritual or egoic, it's just common sense, you know. Yes. We make it spiritual or we make it egoic, but it's really, if we are just willing to tell the truth, what do you want? What do you Mm. want for your neighbors? What do you want for your children? What Mm. do you want for your life? You want cleanliness. You want clean air. You want want Mm. happiness, of course. And then we can just take responsibility. And I really support activism. But I also, as having been an activist at one time in my life, hoping that that would make me happy. Mm. Uh, (laughs) And I even served two weeks in a prison jail for being active and, you know, was part of a nonviolent activity. And I saw when we had to go before a judge, and I and really, it was a very sane thing. We were trying to stop a nuclear power plant from being built on an earthquake fault in California. Wow. And they have since torn down the plant because it's on an earthquake fault. But at the time, this was in 1973 or something, they were planning to construct it, and they did. A group of us did a lot of protest about it, and... And I had a really uh, a moment of awakening in that I saw how righteous we were because we knew Mm. we were correct and we were correct Mm. and how wrong and bad they were. And they were wrong and whether they're bad or not, I don't know, but the judge and the PG&E officials who were testifying and it was just, and I recognized it was sickening to me Mm. that this dichotomy of in order for us to fix what we see is correct and right, somebody has to be punished and be wrong. We ended up being the ones punished, but we were even more self-righteous after that. Mm-hmm. So that really led me to my, my Buddhist practices where I said, I just can't take this. But, you know, I found the same thing in the spiritual world. There was the whole ranking, and then there was, well, Buddhism is right, and that means Christianity is wrong. And, you know, it was like, whoa, it was the same thing, a superiority if you're a spiritual seeker and a judgment if somebody wasn't a spirit. So I think it's an aspect of human nature that we can take responsibility for in just recognizing it's, of course, a part of the survival drive recognizing it and and being willing to not indulge it to do what you can do if you're called to do more to do that without the added well you know it's really shown up in these times without the added hatred that doesn't mean anger won't arise and anger is natural it will arise and even hatred will arise but without indulging that Mm. that there's because if we go down, we're all going down together. I mean, certainly not at the beginning, perhaps the very wealthy people will be able to escape to someplace. But if the ecosystem, the biosystem is destroyed, it's destroyed for the whole species, yeah. at least ours anyway. I don't know about survivors. And it has happened on the earth, as you know. It has happened in other times from meteor hits. or So it can happen, and maybe it will happen. And how do we as individuals and as parts, aspects of a, a community, a worldwide community, take responsibility without adding suffering into that? That's the yeah, edge. You mentioned the word righteousness, you know, mm-hmm. without the righteousness to still show up and respond but without that edge of the, the judgment or the righteousness i think is, yeah. is, is so so key that's so, so key. key and you know that takes being willing to be quiet mm. because there is a narrative when you are right when you're correct when you see that your hair is on fire there's a narrative that's instantaneous which is get out of my way. I've got to get to the, the <laughs> order. <laughs> you know, you're not making friends along the way. But there's also this capacity as you're rushing <laughs> to the water to get your, your hair, hair, the fire in your hair drowned, <laughs> that you don't, you don't have to hate yes. everything that's in your way. 
You don't have, and that's, that's unnecessary suffering. And it, it's a habit. And I think maybe in the States we have it really big right now. I know yeah. different yeah. countries do too, but it's, it's a disease we have. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so there's, there's a couple of things I want to ask. One is a really mun- mundane kind of question that, that, that just stirred up. But, but I like the mundane because it, it yeah. just makes it really like every day in yes. life. And so I was having a conversation and it's come up with two or three friends in the last week where they're vegetarians mm. and now they're thinking about eating fish and, and there's uh, a real conflict that they're going through of, of this moral ethical consideration for themselves. And I'm not sure where you are in terms of your diet, but I thought it was an interesting I would kind of like to hear your thoughts, maybe speaking to that person who is, let's say, in that situation. And it could be a metaphor, fish, you know, vegetarianism, yeah. or whatever else they're thinking about, you know, being single, yeah. being in a relationship, being married, having kids, having not. And so the practical sort of mundane question of someone who's wondering about their diet, and I'm not spiritual if I'm vegetarian, isn't it more spiritual to be vegetarian? Right. It's more holy because, you know, the, in the Hindu culture, that's what it is. Or, uh, and if I kill, if I eat fish, then I'm inflicting suffering. And so it, can you provide some perspective on that? <laughs> Conflict, conversation for someone yeah. that's, that's, that's toying on and that feeling conflicted inside of themselves because it's kind of a big one for people. It is. And it's an ordinary one, as you say. So it's, and I don't have any answers for that. I, I've tried different diets, usually motivated by, you know, I was vegetarian when I thought that was pure. I, yeah. I was, I worked with a Chinese teacher for a while. He got me back eating meat. So my chi would get bigger. And, you know, it's, there's so many aspects of it. And finally, you know, I think we do, if we're meat eaters, and I am an occasional meat eater, we do have to take responsibility for where we get our meat. Is mm. it part of some really absolutely inhumane practice? And maybe, the, and the same thing with our vegetables, you know, are we getting yeah. our vegetables from some kind of monoculture or in, in pesticide culture that is destroying? other creatures as well as ourselves, finally. So they're very complex issues. And, and I don't have, uh, you should do this and you should do that and you should do this because I, I think we are part of our species is that we have survived because we have such a variety mm. of diets and choices. But if you're willing to be still and you recognize you know, as the Jains do, every step you take, you're killing creatures, you're, you're killing life forms that want to live, that have a survival drive, that every mm. breath you take, you're destroying aspects of life. But that can be very sobering, and it mm. can actually, with, without having to punish yourself, you can be sobered by that and actually open to the fact that your life is predicated on the destruction of some other life. That's, mm. that's how it continues. Mm. And, and maybe all of life. I, I don't know much about insect life, except that it's totally mysterious and astounding, but plant life, everything is trying to get its own territory. And in that, maybe the only pure substance is the, the whole substratum Mm -hmm. (laughs) of mushrooms that we all live on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So again, I don't have easy answers, but I support the inquiry because I think it's really important to, to recognize that your life causes harm and, and supports good in multiple different ways Yeah, that you don't have to generate a narrative that, that decides that you're a good person because you eat a vegetarian diet or you're a bad person because you eat meat or they are bad people because they do this or good people because they do this, that there's a kind of, of willingness for mm. fluidity 
of openness and responsibility and maybe opening to the guilt and grief that we feel just from what it takes for us to survive. Not to mention what we do to fellow human beings. Yeah. So yeah. it's an ongoing. It's an ongoing, yeah. Yeah. Exploration. Exploration. And really just, just getting the, the importance to have that, that humility. And, and, and what I'm also really getting is, is the importance of this awareness of the narrative that we are all having about whatever the thing is. It's, it's, it's not so much the thing, it's just this narrative about it that creates a lot That's of right. that suffering. Yeah. That's Thank the you. unnecessary suffering. Yes, yes. Because I do make a distinction. I, there is necessary suffering. I mean, birth itself is suffering for the mother and looks like it for the baby, generally. Mm. So there is suffering that happens. If you, are, you break your leg, there is pain that is necessary pain that gets your attention, gets you tending to what needs to be tended. But the unnecessary certain suffering, which mm. is this burden, self-imposed burden, We've learned from others, but we impose it on ourselves. And that's the narrative of suffering. I'm worthless or I'm superior. Either, either polarity involves suffering. They yes. are no good. Oh, they are the best. That, there's suffering right there. So to be willing to not know, to be willing to, to not know is like idiotic, but to not know is intelligence. Yeah. Really discovering. To really discover, you have to not know first. Mm -hmm. So true. I have a final couple of questions, if, if it's okay. One is a small one. One is, uh, could be a bigger one. Let's see. Um, there's a lot going on in the world right now. <laughs> I, I missed that bit. There's a lot going on in the world oh, yeah. right now. <laughs> yes. Yes, big and uh, small. 2020, 2021. I mean, it's just like the world got flipped upside down. All yes. of a sudden, we thought we had this idea that we were in control and we knew where we were going. And then, boom, the universe like, here you go. And I'm curious, from your perspective, you know, as a teacher, can you give us some insight as to what the hell's going on? Like, in this process, you know, some people say there's a great reset. There's a great awakening. There's this... People are losing their jobs, and there's tremendous death. There's death. There's suffering. There's uncertainty. You know, people, some folks are like there's this conspiracy and the elites, and you know, the cabal of this and that. just mm -hmm. so many different perspectives. And so, but maybe from a spiritual level, like, can you give us some perspective, just what, in terms of the time that we're going through as a humanity right now? I'd say it's a very sobering time. Mm -hmm. There's the possibility of sobering is there, of sobriety. And by that, I really mean it as sobriety is a joyous state, but as a, a state that rec recognizes that uh, we're not children. We don't get to do what we want to do. We've seen that with this. It's pushed us into that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of screaming and kicking and tantrums around that. But the truth is, when we are sober within ourselves, when we are still, when we are alone mm -hmm. in our room, we can ask the most important mm -hmm. questions. Well, what do I really want for myself, for the world, for those I love, those I hate? Mm -hmm. And where am I looking for that? And if I stop looking for that anywhere, what is here? So in that sense, whatever comes at us can serve us. It doesn't mean we won't necessarily suffer in that, but we don't have to unnecessarily suffer. Yes. And it's the unnecessarily, unnecessarily suffering that is the soul crushing. <laughs> Perfect for you. I love mm -hmm. your, <laughs> your title of your show, because it's the soul, this, this connection with this human body that is subject to death and is actually very fragile, as we have seen in these times. That meeting with that and the presence of consciousness that is always here, that uh, lover beloved, that 
in that we are absolutely alone. And that absolute aloneness includes everything, everybody, every emotion, every lifestyle, every upheaval. And I don't mean it in an esoteric way. I mean it in an actual experiential way. That to me is what the possibility of these times. Mm. Because people have gone through horrible times many, many times in the life of the species. I mean, war, wherever yeah. it's happening, if in your household, your neighbor, your nation, the world. And this COVID is, is horrible for very many people, but as a possibility of being toned by it mm. individually and collectively. And that's what I mean by sobriety, is of being toned by being, growing up. Powerful. Final question. I mean, you've shared so much today and just really want to thank you for just being so generous with just your sharing. You're um, irresistible. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, if there were, this is kind of a summary and you can take this wherever you want. If there were, as you reflect on your life, everything you've lived, um, three of the most important wisdoms that if these were the only three wisdoms you could keys, uh, thoughts, ideas that you could share with the next generation and their children and their children, and you feel, okay, these three things are the things that you feel would evolve the next generation's consciousness the most. Like, here's Gangaji's gifts to the next generation, what, what would those three ideas be? Well, always and first, the most important is to tell the truth. Hmm. They may begin relatively telling the truth. I'm in pain or this relationship is bad or whatever it may be, but telling the truth to yourself, at least, to tell the truth to yourself. And then second would be to open to where that's pointing you. And I think one of the most important things we all need to know is that we are all capable of making mistakes. Mm. That you can follow your truth, you can follow your intuition, you can follow your guidance and still make a mistake. So that humility of recognizing that we are fallible in our directions then yes you follow your truth and yes then you have the capacity to recognize well that was a mistake and you mm -hmm. pick yourself up and i think that's maybe in particular what i would offer to people in their agitation in this times because at this point we don't know who's mistaken <laughs> there be a lot of mistakes out there it's true we don't know who's mistaken yeah, yeah. for sure for sure <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, what's the best way? I just want people to connect with you and your work. And I know you're doing online events, I saw. And just what's just the best website, the best way people can connect with you and just Great. get connected. Yeah, the website. And it's G-A-N-G-A-J-I dot org. Well, yeah, that's the website. <laughs> and everything is there. That's where I go to find out what's happening. <laughs> the Foundation. So it's gang, Gangaji. Gangaji. Yes. Gangaji.org. Yeah. Folks, yeah. you heard it. Uh, definitely check out Gangaji.org. We'll put all of uh, the links in the show notes. Please check out her work and get connected and have an experience with her uh, in person, online. And I know you have some amazing books as well. Uh, you can find them on Amazon. Gangaji, thank you so much. It's a real uh, honor just to, to meet you, you know, even mm. though it's, it's virtual, but it feels in person. And so it is. It's right it's here. Such a, yes. such, such a pleasure. Folks, mm, so uh, I told, thank you. Thank you. Folks, <laughs> really, I told so you beautiful. this was, was going to be an amazing interview. Um, send me an email, everyone. Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. I want to know your key takeaways from today's episode. Also, share today's episode with, with everyone in your life. Uh, I feel everyone needs to hear uh, Gangaji's message today. And I'll catch you next week on Soul Talk. Love now.
If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.